Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. John Creamer is an award-winning professional speaker and author whose main goal is to help individuals and organizations communicate better. He uses a clever combination of two techniques, which are his reading people system and improvisation, both of which help lead people on the right path to better communication. In a refreshingly personal, playful, and humorous way, John teaches people how to quickly read someone they have just met, allowing them to engage much more quickly. And he uses improvisation to help break down any awkward barriers, allowing people to feel much more confident and to understand themselves and others in a much more efficient way. What can I say? We've known each other a long time, Mr. Creamer, and it's we a certainly have. <laughs> delight to have you on the Sandro Forte podcast. So welcome, John Creamer. Thank you. My pleasure, Sandro. So uh, we go back a long way. I know an awful lot, but many of our lots and lots and lots of uh, listeners now, I'm pleased to say, won't know. So let's dive straight in if we can. And uh, what, John, uh, well, let's let's talk about your background first. So John Creamer, the, the guy that many people may not know, but we'll talk about the book and all the work that you do with lots of uh, well, well-known people and groups and organizations that have taken you to many countries of the world. Um, so what did you, what job did you start out doing that led you to becoming, well, not just a professional speaker, but, but also, you know, an amazing improviser. We'll talk about that in more detail in a moment, but what, where did it all start, John? It started, I mean, the path to professional speaking started via taking improvisation classes way back in the 90s in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I learned improvisation purely for fun and very quickly became intrigued by the uh, experience of improvising and also the experience of teaching people how to get up on stage and be spontaneous. You don't strike me. I mean, those people don't know you. I, I will just share this. Um, we won't delve too deeply into your past uh, for, for fear of arrest, obviously. But um, <laughs> it, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that would find improvisation that straightforward. Because what's really ironic about what you do now, if you don't mind me saying, is that you know, you're not the most uh, naturally flamboyant person. You wouldn't charge you into a room and start a conversation necessarily. And yet you you adopt and adapt it to a different kind of persona when you do the work that you do with people. Is, is the work that you do now a direct consequence of some of the challenges you face during your lifetime? It is, actually. I uh, have always been a painfully shy individual. It seems to be fundamental to my nature. I'm very, very introverted. And anything like a networking event or a situation where I'm meeting new people it just it sparks my my shyness and my my wish to just withdraw so learning learning to improvise was a great way of of bridging that awkward few moments when you first meet people so yeah i'm 
if you walked into a room and someone said spot the improviser, you wouldn't you wouldn't pick me first. That's for sure. No, I, I don't think you would. And that said, with a great deal of respect. So what brought you back to Brighton? That is, after all, your home, John. So what brought you back there if improvisation was, you know, such an enjoyable experience and, and you know, a very important part of your past that's led you to where you are today? What brought you back to the UK then? It's it's interesting looking at it's. I find that I can understand things much better when I look back on them. And I was I lived in the US for fifteen years. I had some wonderful learning experiences, met some great people, and then I became restless. And I started. Uh, I decided to move from Phoenix, and I noticed I was looking in places like Oregon, Northern California, places that were green and had trees. And suddenly I realised I just want to go home. And there was this sort of visceral urge to return home. And at the same time, and this may sound really trite, it was actually significant. I got tired of explaining my jokes because there's a very different flavor of humor in the Southwest. And there isn't the sense of irony and sarcasm and British humor. And I found that whenever I came home for a holiday, it was so easy to just, you know, slip back into banter and laughter and then when I went back to the US, it was it was harder to communicate because to me, humor is just such a lovely, easy way to to spark some some energy between people. I'm particularly interested in what you've just said there, because I, I happen to know. And, and this is a question I, I wanted to ask you. What did you learn from your time in the USA, apart from that, which you've already mentioned? Because there were clearly some, some there's some great things about the United States. You and I have chatted over oh you know, over a non-alcoholic beer before now. Um, what did you learn from your time in the USA that so attracted you to it and probably would encourage you to get others to look at the USA as a, as a, as a venue, as a place to explore? There are two things that, that, that I really resonated with when I was there. One, having moved there in my early 20s, was the sense that you could pretty much do anything if it seems almost standard if someone moves from England to the United States that the first thing they do is they get a very big American car, uh, which I did. So I got a 65 Plymouth Fury. And there's that feeling of openness. And when you talk to people, there's the feeling of possibility. If you, if you float an idea, people will tend to say, oh, I know someone that's doing that or, or in that industry or, yeah, go for it. Whereas in, in Britain, the, the, the response is normally, mm, here's why you shouldn't, rather than here's how you can. And the other thing that really attracted me and stayed with me was the approach to personal development and human potential, which I guess dovetails with the can-do spirit. Uh, the idea of who we can be is very different from who we believe we are. And if we can step back from our history, our personal history, and take a look at options and choices that we have made and look at options and choices that we can make. Again, it just, it just, there was this wonderful sense of openness and possibility, which was the, the, the mindset. Plus also I, I studied human potential and personal development quite intensively while I was there. I'm going to um, just stay on the subject of improvisation and I want to talk to you about sure. people because that is a, a system that people need to get to know and something that has um, 
been incredibly helpful for me when communicating with people. So uh, the improvisation has kind of taken on a life of its own, hasn't it? Because you now, you know, you tour around as a group of people. Um, yep. This was kind of your brainchild way back, but it, it is now morphed into a into a troupe, for want of a better description. And you're based in in Brighton, but you travel all around. So tell us a little bit about what you do now on the is it the last Friday of every month, I think, and, and probably at points in between as well. Okay, yeah. So so the company is called the Maydays, and um, we're a, a, a group of improvisers. We started as. Uh, half a dozen people who wanted to do improv shows for fun. And in the last 15 years, it's grown into an organization that uh, trains and works with, you know, some very, very good improvisers. We've, we've traveled as a company to be trained in the U S we perform throughout Europe. We, we perform regularly in the UK and it's, wonderful to see something just form itself and and to, to really take off uh, from a seed from a tiny seed which was literally a room above a pub and why do you think john improvisation is so important and, and how do you get to use it and what benefits uh do you find that it has for you in your daily life particularly since you are you know not the most extrovert of in- individuals as you've already pointed out so what are the benefits to those of us who might consider uh, learning and developing improvisation as a strategy? There are some core skills which are priceless in human interaction. Um, the, 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 the primary skill of improvisation seems paradoxical because it, it, it is actually to listen. It's, it's really about listening intently to the other person, to the people around you, and really tuning into that and I find that for introverts, that puts the focus on the other person. So there isn't that internal pressure and wondering how to respond. And for extroverts, listening to the other person, you know, sort of calms them down a bit and gets them more, gets them more engaged and and not feeling, you know, the need to be central and to generate things. So that though that skill and coupled with that is the core skill of saying yes to whatever comes up. So improvisers are known for saying yes to whatever offer or whatever idea the other person brings to the table. And that creates possibilities, it creates engagement, and it creates collaboration. I personally believe that human beings ultimately succeed through collaboration and that competition is really not something that promotes lasting deep success and i guess that yes and approach rather than the yes but approach which we hear so often mm. you're you're, yeah. re- you're recognized john as having a, I, I mentioned this deliberately in my introduction you're recognized as having a a playful and somewhat mischievous approach to your speaking and the work that you do uh what what do you think it is about that approach that works so well in helping people to communicate better you know that that lightheartedness you are a very serious person. Let's let's be honest. You take things pretty seriously. But you know, in when you're communicating, I I don't think I've ever seen anyone communicate as effectively as you. So uh, is that a departure from who you are? Is it part of who you are? Do you step into a different body or persona to help you in those situations? Uh, I'm just interested to know whether that is the real John Cream or whether it's somebody else. 
That, very, very, very astute question, Sandro. Um, I would say that it is me that is playful up on stage, engaging with people. And what I find is that when an audience realizes that a presenter takes their material and their craft really seriously, at the same time, they don't take themselves seriously, that there is this sense of relaxation in the room and people feel that they can take part and they can they can engage, they can express, and there's not that sense that they're wondering if how well they're doing in contrast. So there's that freedom to just really be themselves. Um, as a, we did a show last week and um, one of the elements we do is we ask if anyone in the audience wants to confess and we use the confession as raw material for the show. And what happened was this, this fellow decided to confess and it was the funniest confession we've ever had from an audience to the point where two of the two of the performers literally sat down on stage to just listen to the confession and the star of that show by far was a random audience member who put his hand up and said I, I strangled a pheasant and then told us the, the the story around him strangling a pheasant it was utterly hilarious and Knowing that we can at any time make someone else the star, if people feel that, they have that safety and comfort in that they could actually be the star without being massively impressive or special or different, that's, I think I embody that. And to me, it is something that's fundamental to me. It's, it's much, much easier to just enjoy someone else telling a great story than it is to work really hard trying to come up with something. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else has had the same epiphany that I've just had, but in all these years, I've never quite put my finger on a lot of people say to me in, in my business, you know, you seem to communicate well with people. I've just realized that I think it's probably as you've exactly uh, so well articulated, John, you've said, uh, and I, and I paraphrase it's, uh, you take your material, your content very seriously, but you don't take yourself very seriously. And I think that's a really good takeaway for a lot of people listening. Um, I want to talk a little bit about reading people now, because we'll, we'll talk mm -hmm. about a book, which has taken a very long time to write, but it is fantastic. I've read it cover to cover three times and I still learn from it. Um, let's just talk a, a little bit about reading people, the system, where it came from, um, and, and how you use that with, with groups and audiences that you, that you share it with around the world. It was something I learned in the States. I learned it from a fellow who was a, a masterful practitioner with, with much experience of it. And interestingly enough, it was only a part of what he knew. And he was actually not going to teach it. It was his wife that said, oh, you know, why don't you, why don't you put that into the mix? And as soon as he presented this material, I, I was absolutely intrigued. And he was good enough to spend some time training me and, in a way, initiating me into something that really is ideally passed down by word of mouth. So that's, that's where I, I learned it. And when I came back to the UK, I actually had no intention uh, myself of ever presenting it. And um, it was only after I became a speaker and 
I had clients say to me, is there anything else you can do? And I sort of semi-reluctantly, well, let's try this thing that I, that I started to put it out. So in a way, I, the circumstances under which I learned it were the circumstances under which I, I came to actually start to teach it. So I'm now going to put you on the spot. Um, Go. I'm sure you will attest to the fact that these podcasts are not pre-recorded, pre-rehearsed, anything like that. So no. I'm going to ask you to use all that fantastic uh, learned and developed skill to give me a half uh, TED talk. So in about eight, nine minutes, to give me the six characters to explain briefly at first what the system is and why uh-huh. it's effective, because obviously uh, your system is very different from NLP, for example, because uh, it is non-verbal and you don't need to use body language. It's just characteristics, but I'll let you explain. And then if you wouldn't mind just running through the six uh, personality types, how we might identify them, and if you can possibly squeeze it in, give us one or two examples of people in the world that we know so we can identify with what you're talking about. So, Sandra, in summary, you're asking for 30 years of knowledge and experience in approximately eight minutes. That's right. what I, that is why the Sandro Forte podcast has become so successful. Yes. <laughs> okay. In a nutshell, the system reading people is different because it's based on the observation of physical characteristics. Uh, each one of us is in a physical body and if you study this system, you can determine someone's type as easily as you can determine the difference between a Volkswagen and a Land Rover simply by observing the, the shape, the characteristics of the body. The beauty of this is you don't have to have someone fill in a questionnaire or go online. You simply look at them and The idea of this system is there are six basic models. We're each a combination of two that are adjacent to each other. And I will very rapidly run you through all six of them right now. So the uh, first first one is the Mars type. Uh, This is named after the god of war. Uh, Mars people tend to be uh, physically robust, quite stocky, uh, often with a squarish head. If they're Caucasian, they're likely to have reddish hair and piercing blue eyes. Uh, They tend to get sunburnt very easily. They have a lot of adrenaline in their system. They move very quickly from A to B in a straight line. And they have a strong affinity for loyalty and honesty. They like to tell it like it is. And you often hear Miles people say things like, it's my way or the highway. Uh, Their qualities are this straightforwardness. And the fact that if any one of their friends or colleagues is in trouble, they will be there with them 100%. Uh, the downside of a Mars is this energy of theirs, this, this drive, when it's out of control, can, be, can turn them into a bit of a loose cannon. They may be a little bit explosive, like um, Popeye, the cartoon character, or our current... Uh, I mean, you know, the the uh, the very red-haired, piercing blue-eyed, volatile character of of uh, President Trump on the world stage at this moment. Leader of the free that's, world. That's a bit of a worry, isn't it? <laughs> Leader of the free world. So that's uh, that's a, that's a, that's a Mars type, and and a, a, a great example of a Mars type from history. Someone who lived their truth and took a stand for what they believe in would be would be someone like Martin Luther King. And someone who certain John Creamer as well. 
I, I am also a Mars type myself. Yes. And, um, You've, I, I've, I've been, I've been witness to uh, you having a few rags with technology and various, yeah. other, various other things that you lose your, you lose your rag with. It's always amusing to watch a Mars with a touchscreen because it seems that at some, at some level, each Mars believes that if you press a touchscreen harder, it will work more quickly. And if that doesn't work, you press it repeatedly. And if that doesn't work, you threaten it. So uh, yeah, we we have a we have a frustrating relationship with technology at times. The next type is the Mars type. Uh, they're not the Mars type. That was the Mars type. The next type is the jovial type. Uh, Jupiter being the king of the gods, and jovials tend to be large. They tend to be physically large. They tend to be larger than life and have big voices. They carry weight in their upper body, and they like to indulge in the good things in life. They do not believe that less is more. They like wealth and abundance and success, and they like people to recognize that they are successful. They like you to notice the label on their clothes. They like big houses, lots of them, big cars and uh, big wardrobes for their Many, many, many outfits. They like to dress for the occasion and they like to make sweeping entrances. Uh, at their best, a jovial is charming, tactful, diplomatic, generous, jolly, warm hearted. And at their worst, they can be a little bit spiteful, a little bit sensitive, a little bit sniffy. Uh, a great example of this is, is um, Elton John. At his best, uh, warm, generous, has done wonderful work for charities worldwide and always has done. And at his worst, he's known for his tantrums and his tirades. And he recently threw a bag off, an expensive bag, off an aeroplane because he didn't get his own way. And uh, so that's uh, that's a jovial. And then another, another ex- extreme example would be Imelda Marcos uh, with her 6,000 pairs of shoes. They, they do like excess. Next one we're going to look at is the lunar type, uh, Luna being the moon goddess, goddess of secrecy, hunting, and the night. And lunar people tend to be physically slender, uh, roundish face, small chin, pale uh, complexion, fine hair. They have a remarkable attention to detail, and they have the ability to stay with something Lunar people are the most persistent of all the types, and they succeed through persistence. When they decide to do something, they will do it no matter how long it takes. Um, If I'm having trouble with technology and it's not solvable, the person I go to will be a lunar. Their downside of a lunar is when they say no and become stubborn, they can become very, very fixed and resistant. And the best example I have from recent years would be Aung San Suu Kyi of uh, Myanmar, who took a very principled stand and said um, she was under house arrest, refused to leave, uh, refused to sign away her beliefs and be released. For 15 years, she held her ground and made her way into government, which is the positive side of lunar persistence. And recently on the world stage, she has refused to recognize the situation with the Rohingya Muslims being massacred. Um, And this is the downside of lunar stubbornness, just saying no and refusing to address the reality. And currently we are looking at a situation where lunars are successful financially through technology. So Bill Gates is, is very lunar. 
Uh, Steve Jobs was lunar. Tim Cook is lunar. So the technology giants, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, another lunar, and uh, not someone known for being open to questions and uh, quite tight and controlled. Next type, Venus, goddess of love, nurturing, healing, and child raising, and um, always depicted as a woman with children by her. And Venus are people-oriented. They have, tend to have thick, dark hair, lots of it, big brown eyes, big soft lips, and lovely soft skin. It's wonderful to hug a Venus. And Venus people have a, a view of the world that does not have, bring in a strong sense of their own identity. So Venus people tend to think of the world in terms of we rather than I. It's more of a, the family, the team, the organization. They tend to be slow moving, which can drive Mars people crazy. And they have a wonderful sense of empathy and compassion for others. And um, Antonio Carluccio, the chef who died recently, was a Venus. And it, just everyone says he was a lovely, lovely guy. Uh, Marlon Brando's was another is, was another Venus, and of course Nigella Lawson, the domestic goddess. Uh, Venus people do like their food, and at their very best, they are loving and kind. At their very worst, they get taken advantage of. They get used by the rest of the world. Mercury is the next type. Mercury is the winged messenger of the gods, with wings on his helmet, wings on his heels, and Mercury's are slender but wiry. They're built for speed and action. They're built like a sprinter or a swimmer. And Mercury's think, move, and speak more quickly than all the other types. If you want to get something done, talk to a Mercury. If you want to sell something, talk to a Mercury. The words merchant, marketing, and merchandise all come from the word Mercury. These are the movers and shakers. These are the wizards. These are the synergizers and synthesizers who can take ideas and weave them together magically. If you visualize a stage magician, you're probably thinking of a Mercury. At their very best, they inspire, they create, and they move things. They're charming and charismatic, great communicators. Uh, Barack Obama, wonderful example of a Mercury. At their worst, they manipulate and um, con people because they seem to believe that if uh, someone thinks slower than them, it's their own problem if they fall for something. So from, from the world of uh, finance, Charles Ponzi was, uh, was a Mercury, the inventor of the Ponzi scheme, as was his successor, Bernie Madoff. Last one we're going to look at, the last one of the six, is the Saturn type. Saturns tend to be tall and bony, long arms and legs, narrow face, and they have a paternal vibe to them. They, this was the god of the harvest and also connected to Kronos, god of time. So Saturns are tall, bony, deliberate people who are quite paternal. And when a Saturn walks in the room, it's as if dad has arrived. You tend to sit up straight. You tend to feel that you've done something you shouldn't have done. In this system, Saturns are the ones that make the rules. They give order and structure. 
And at their very best, they bring us firm sense of justice, fairness, and deliberation. These are the people that structure the world, that set the procedures. Um, wonderful example of this would be Abraham Lincoln, who, uh, who basically restructured the United States under more just and fair ways and means. And um, Saturns are the ones that uh, keep the rest of us in order. So that's a very rapid circuit of all six types. And I wasn't timing that, Sandra, so I don't know if I if I got it within the time frame. Well, you were a little over, but since it was so intensive, no. you gave lots of examples, I will let you off. That was really terrific. Thank you. Um, I just welcome. need to mention again the book. It took you, what, five years, I think, to write? It did, yeah. It's very, very in-depth. Uh, it is spectacularly good, and I'm not just saying that because it's you. Uh, the other thing I, I, I love about you, John, and I'm just going to just touch on this, how do you, how do you have such an annoyingly, enviably <laughs> brilliant uh, and balanced work-life arrangement? Uh, you fish, you travel a lot, uh, you're one of the most laid-back people I know. How on earth do you manage what the rest of us spend our whole lives trying to achieve and never quite get there? Well, I, I know that from the outside, my life must look pretty low stress. And I think part of the reason for that is one thing that I learned as an improviser is a sense of trust. I've had many experiences in my life where I lived hand to mouth for a number of years. And there were times when I was literally wondering, how am I going to pay the rent at the end of the week with no visible sense that anything would happen. And somehow from left field, I would sell a piece of artwork or something would happen and I would pay the rent on time. So I learned a sense of trust through experience. And I kind of push it a little bit because what I do is I look at my year and I book my fishing trips. I just book all my fishing trips. And then I book the work afterwards. So I just assume that if I book enough fishing trips, that um, there will have to be enough work to come in to pay for those fishing trips. And so far, it's happened. So, yeah, I do fish a lot and I do improvise on stage a lot with some people who are way more talented than I am. And when I work, I get to work with people like yourself. And uh, as you know, we travel to some amazing places. Tell us how we, well, first of all, let me ask you, just left field. Uh, what's the biggest fish you've ever caught, John? <laughs> the biggest fish I ever caught was an Atlantic salmon that was 105 centimetres long, and that was in water that was knee-deep in a very small river. Wow, that's that's big. That is a big oh. fish. Oh, no. As I'm saying this, I realise I've given you inaccurate information. I caught a giant trevally that was 108 centimetres long. So it was actually three centimetres longer than that. I just realised that was, uh, I, when, I, when you said big, I thought long, but actually the trevally, bigger fish, but actually it was actually longer. Okay. Um, so two, two more questions for you before we wrap up, uh, though I sure. would love to go on speaking to you for longer. Uh, first of all, how do people find out about you? I know you're not big in terms of social media. You limit your exposure to the outside world. So how do people find out more about John Creamer? And in particular, tell us how we get hold of a copy of the book. Okay, so the book is The Art of Reading People. And uh, the website for that is readingpeople.biz. 
And to get hold of me personally for the more improvised side of things, it is johncremer.co.uk. Fabulous. And anything on social media? Can we can we stick you there? I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's that's I yeah. I, again, I don't really put much out there in, on social media. No, I, I I go with you on that one. Okay. <laughs> the final question. You may or may not know this, but we ask all of our guests one question, and it is common to them all. The rest we just kind of make up as we go along. We, you would call sure. it conversation. Uh, and the question is this: If a young John Creamer uh, comes up to his dad, that's you, one day and says, Dad, I'm about to set off into the big wide world and I, I would like one single piece of advice, a sentence, a paragraph, encapsulating all the wonderful things you've learned along the way, the failures, the successes. What single piece of advice would you give to John Creamer Jr.? John? I would say spend time with people that inspire you. Listen to them carefully and take the risk to ask for their advice and follow their advice, the last bit being the most crucial part. That's a very good answer. And if I can be so bold, since the book is so good, uh, can we can we prize a copy away from you to offer as a prize? Uh, because we occasionally, very occasionally, offer prizes from guests uh, just to uh, highlight the, the wonderful work that you're doing uh, in some future episode or on social media. So if we can, if not, I'll buy a copy. I don't mind. But uh, if we can, yes. that'd be terrific. Well, Sandra, as I'm an improviser and I'm legally bound to say yes and, you know that I'm going to say yes and I'm going to send you a hardback copy. So you'll get the special right. hardback copy. These, these questions aren't thrown together, John. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's very generous of you. Um, what can I say? I, I think there might have to be a part two to this because uh, we've been to many different parts of the world and we've sat in on street corners in coffee shops and all sorts and we've chatted until the sun's gone down. So um, I'm sure there's lots more to talk about. But all I can say on behalf of the very, well, lots and lots and lots of people listening from, I think it's, we think we've just hit 40 countries now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really insightful and so refreshingly different to a lot of the uh, the guests that we have, no disrespect intended there at all. But it's been really, really interesting conversation. And I'm sure everyone listening has taken a lot away from, from this conversation. It's been my pleasure, Sandra. Until next time, John Creamer, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. What can I say about John Creamer? Terrific friend and even more terrific improvisation. And you have to get a copy of that book. Each week, we have a new guest joining us, as you know, to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. So please make sure you subscribe, you follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast, same on all channels, don't forget. And if you want to, please email us with any questions. It's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember two other things. To connect with me, Sandro Forte, it's the real Sandro Forte on Instagram, Sandro Forte everywhere else. And please leave those reviews on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Until this time next week, bye for now.